0: New York City. It's one of those places that seems to have a personality of its own. More of a living, breathing character than just a setting or a place. With 8.4 million people and countless small businesses, it can be quite a challenge to stand out among this crowd. Yep, that's the challenge that two stores have faced and even thrived on. My name is Icha. I'm the Wizards Play Network Community Manager, and recently I got to travel to Manhattan and Brooklyn to visit the Uncommons and the 20-sided store in the city. You're listening to the Wizards Play Network Podcast. This podcast is intended as a resource for retailers that are a part of the Wizards Play Network, and for any retailer aspiring to join the network. In each episode, we will be visiting a theme relevant to delivering customers the best retail experience. This week, we're talking about innovation and trying new things to stand out among the competition. For that, we go back to lower Manhattan, just south of Washington Square Park, where I met Greg May, the owner of Manhattan's only board game cafe, The Uncommons.
1: If you've never been to a board game cafe, the essential idea is that you can walk into a cafe-like environment, think Starbucks or any other coffee shop, um, but add a wall of board games that are available for play in-store. Our library is, I believe, the largest publicly available library on the East Coast of the United States. We have about 1,230 games. There are a couple places in the United States and in the world with larger collections, um, but none on the East Coast, and, and we're pretty proud of that.
0: That's Greg May. He's the owner and founder of The Uncommons, which has been around for about three years. And how did they get started?
1: Well, basically, I love games. Had a whole lot of them in a giant library that was too big for my apartment, um, and eventually decided that uh, they needed a better home. It seemed uh, plausible to start a retail store here in New York City uh, in Greenwich Village. Um, It was a crazy thing to do, but uh, it's turned out very well.
0: The story of a passionate gamer deciding to take the leap into the gaming and hobby business is admittedly not new. But what really impressed me about Greg May and his partners was the amount of research, prep, and knowledge that went into their proposed business model, a board game cafe, before they even got started and their additional innovation to add Magic the Gathering to the mix.
1: We're modeled somewhat on Snakes and Lattes uh, and other board game cafes around the world, um, many of which I've visited uh, over the years, Um, but we added our own twists, especially Magic the Gathering. Um, We're one of uh, New York's most popular magic destinations, um, and we're really proud of the community that we've built uh, around NYU and uh, the greater Manhattan community. It's critical to um, Build those communities in advance of your of your store. Um, we really sort of did a bunch of things to try to, to make sure we had the groups before we opened those, yeah. our, our doors. Um, so that can be a Kickstarter project or on Board Game Geek or on Magic Communities. Uh, just make sure that you, know, you have enthusiastic customers uh, before you've even picked your location. I played Magic as a kid. Um, our co-founders were more into the, you know, sort of local Magic community than I was. They had kept up to date, they loved the game, Um, it seemed like a natural fit. I loved board games, they liked Magic, and uh, it also seemed like we could meld the two together.
0: And they did exactly that. The Uncommons now runs four nights of Magic a week, a healthy mix of Draft, Modern, Standard, and Commander, and they also run GPTs, PPTQs, pre-releases, game days, the works. They do all of this within a very cozy store space. Real estate in New York, after all, is no joke.
1: We seat about 64 people. We have 800 square feet. Um, If you know anything about stores, you'll know that those numbers don't make a lot of sense. That's a Tokyo level um, of of seating capacity for a space that size. Um, And we fill up every single day, just about. Um, We have two hour waits on the weekends. Um, And yeah, (laughs) so we, we get a lot of magic players
0: and about how big is your community right
1: now? Um, That is very difficult to say. Uh, That's because we get a lot of tourists. Uh, New York City is a a tourist destination. So our metrics are way different than most stores uh, that I've seen. Uh, I'm in touch with dozens and dozens of uh, store owners and and other board game cafes. Um, We're kind of off the charts for our location and our size. The size of our community changes whether school is in session. Um, or not, um, the popularity of the set, uh, as well as just the normal vagaries of
0: of (laughs) New York City. Uh, So, uh, being in New York, uh, I imagine you guys get a pretty diverse clientele and things like that. Um, What do you guys do to help create uh, an environment that's really welcoming for everyone and and kind of encouraging new people to start playing? Uh, Sure, we consider
1: that perhaps our strongest suit. Other places certainly can be cheaper, can be uh, bigger. Um, They can even be a little bit more comfortable. Um, we pride ourselves on creating a really welcoming environment. Um, we have, of course, really, really good coffee, locally roasted. Um, we have a variety of food and snacks. Uh, you don't need to bring in your own or leave. We have really interesting uh, you know, drink options, and uh, we also uh, have a, a real focus on having staff that are welcoming and friendly. Um, we try to build a really inclusive community, uh, one that's open to all levels of play. Um, one that's open to people of all types from around the world um, and uh, we really strive to encourage that sort of inclusiveness and it's it's worked out really well. I, we don't have some of the issues that I know plague other stores. Um, we tend to be a fairly welcoming and friendly slash semi-casual environment, meaning that if you're looking to be a grinder, it's not the best place you know, for, for you. And the flip side of that is that we have a lot of kids, a lot of um, younger players, a lot of newer players, uh, who can feel like they're engaged, like they can learn the game. Um, and the competitive folks, we
0: do host GPTs,
1: PPTQs, other events, we're, we're pretty strict and competitive.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool to, and I'm sure challenging to strike that balance between all of that.
1: Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it helps to have an, enough kids that we can have a kid's draft. We can fire a pod of, you know, eight people um, and, and be pretty confident that they're all on a, a somewhat similar, you know, playing field. Um, and then as the night goes on, uh, of course, more and more adults and uh, more competitive uh, uh, players get, get involved.
0: Looking around, I saw the philosophy of diversity and inclusivity that Greg spoke about in action. Various people were hanging out, drinking coffee, eating snacks, and playing games. A young couple chatted quietly over a board game, while a group of players argued loudly over a deck-building game, while two girls laughed as they played a nostalgic game of Guess Who? By providing a welcoming and inclusive atmosphere, the Uncommons captured a wider demographic of customers than is often found in a lot of game stores, allowing them to reach more people and increase their business. All that growth and attendance isn't without its challenges though, especially given the tight quarters due to Manhattan-level rents.
1: The biggest challenge we face is probably trying to strike a balance between the different communities. Um, we do get crowded, we do get um, long waits, and, and that can be upsetting and frustrating, especially for customers who may you know, travel a long distance, or maybe if you're a regular Magic player and it turns out that we just you know, don't have space that night for you. Um, uh, you know, We've, uh, it's, we've already launched the pod or whatever, and, and there's just no additional table space. That, that's probably the biggest challenge that we work with. Um, is, is simply space.
0: Given the challenges with the limitations on space, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe the uncommons would have been better served moving somewhere outside of Manhattan where rent was a little more reasonable and they could have gotten a bigger space. However, Greg didn't see it that way. Well, the
1: the first thing I, I can say is location, location, location. Those, you know, that's definitely true. It's It may seem, rough in your first couple of years uh, looking at that rent bill, but uh, that extra rent that's you know likely the case is almost certainly going to be worth it.
0: That certainly seems to be the case for the Uncommons, located at 230 Thompson Street in Greenwich Village, just south of Washington Square Park in New York. In Commons, I hopped onto the E-train and then to the L-train and left Manhattan behind. After a short ride, I emerged from the subway into the heart of Williamsburg in Brooklyn. A short walk took me to the 20-sided store, owned by Lauren Blanco and Luis.
2: Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a pretty cool space. How big is the square footage
2: here? Oh gosh, I'm probably total... Like fifteen hundred, you know, New York has got pretty small spaces. We do the best uh, with with the limited space that we have. But yeah, we've just expanded the retail, uh, sort of double sized it, and um, we've kind of made the gameplay space a little bit more private, so we can do some more kind of exclusive events, like the Enter the Battlefield event that we've got coming up, um, and um, you know, some private parties and that sort of thing, and then you know, just the regular, regular stuff that we've been doing for the past five and a half years.
0: Funnily enough, this wasn't my first visit to the 20-sided store. I had been once, several years ago, before I worked at Wizards, just as a player looking for some Friday Night Magic while I was traveling. The store had looked quite different back then.
2: Yeah, we started off like kind of half the size and, you know, just kind of like just this one little tiny uh, wall of retail, which, uh, you know, is like four racks or four shelves, and then, you know, just for sort of a very narrow kind of stretch back with, like, the counter right up here by the door and a couple game, you know, table gaming tables uh, kind of stretching in the back. And now that whole area has now become our magic singles library, and (laughs) we've sort of taken over the other half of the storefront and really kind of... Uh, moved our gameplay space off to that side and kind of double, double sized or triple sized our, our retail. We've been here, kind of keeping it real on Grand Street, and <laughs> so now that we've got like the Apple Store moving in and Whole Foods moving in in this neighborhood, it's it's changing, you know. I'll bet. Yeah. So yeah, so it's pretty fun.
0: The rising affluence of the area wasn't the only change. Back when I visited the store, it was one of the only places that popped up when I used Wizard's Event Locator. This had played a pretty big factor in the 20-sided store's start. They were one of the only places that hosted magic events and then Dungeons & Dragons events, and they saw a lot of activity and customers just from the event locator alone. Nowadays, however?
2: Uh, now, you know, since we've been so successful, five other stores have opened up doing exactly what we do, but we love them and we all we all kind of have our own little niches and we support each other, and it's kind of a really good community that we have going on here. I feel like New York is very different than, you know, probably sort of what I kind of hear happens with organized play in in you know other states and stuff you know it's like New York is very limited space where, you know, other you know, other store owners come and visit us and they're like, Oh yeah, like, you know, we just got all these empty tables and we just we just want them filled, like any you know, anything to just get people to kinda of use the tables that we're not using. But here it's a little bit different. It's sort of like, you know, no matter what we have going on the tables are full and we're turning people away and so it's really great to have you know kind of different stores that are doing different things and kind of you know when when there's big events that that happen we kind of you know talk to each other and say okay well let's not all do it in the same you know month or um, you know if uh, you know we've got one store that really focuses on after-school kids events you know where they they do the pickups from the schools there's another store that really focuses on the cafe idea and that model and
0: hey I know that place.
2: We really have the retail store and the Magic Card singles and, and really kind of focus on on sort of, um, you know, supplying in that realm. So there's it's a very easy way to say, okay, well, if you're looking for that kind of thing, you know, we can recommend something else that might be good for you. And so there is really sort of this great community that kind of just stretches beyond sort of what we're doing. And, you know, and I've been trying to kind of reach out and give advice and, um, you know, be present sort of in the, in the larger community and help newer stores sort of, you know, uh, with some of the the things that we already figured out, you know, sort of through, you know, trial and error. Now it's like, okay, well, learn from my mistakes <laughs> and let me help you and and give you sort of resources and tools and, um, you know, maybe handouts or, or things that we've kind of created to kind of, you know, sort of manage things from, you know, manage the, the volunteers and the people that you have. Because I, I think there's no shortage in people who want to, you know, DM for you or want to help, help out. And, and how do you kind of make it so that those people are actually helpful to you by by giving them sort of, you know, kind of, you know, sort of guidance. And and that, I think, is kind of... You know, something that can be a little bit tricky that you don't really think about.
0: It was very exciting to hear that New York had a Wizards retailer community that worked together. Out of the many communities that I visited this year, those retailer communities such as New York and Austin, Texas, that innovate and then share their discoveries, have in turn created some of the strongest and fastest growing player communities. A more crowded field of stores, however, obviously also poses other hardships as well, including how to further stand out from other stores and clarify your brand identity.
2: I think every every business and small business owner faces these same things like, you know, how do I stand apart from everybody else and what is it that I do that's unique? And, um, you know, so I think the biggest challenges are kind of always sort of being fresh and, and coming up with new ideas and coming up with, um, with new things that are going to be fun for not only us but for our customers and you know that that we can manage, and how to really kind of sing exciting and but also not not creating too many new things where you know it becomes super overwhelming right so where 's that fine fine balance of of kind of um, you know being able to maintain the brand and, and really having an identity but uh, so you don 't want to like stray too far, but you do want to be able to um, you know, be able to enhance that brand and enhance that in every new thing that you do and, and really bring that out to
0: Figuring out how to change and try new things, all without disrupting what's already working, figuring out exactly what your customers want, those are the eternal quests for a retailer. And when it comes to that, Lauren believes in listening to her customers, but she also knows the secret that sometimes customers don't actually know what they want, and that the loudest voices in the community isn't always the most accurate. So Lauren's learned to trust data over chatter.
2: You know, I think a lot of times, you know, you hear all this chatter. You know, people have these expectations that, well, I went to this other place, and this is how they did it, so you need to do it that way, too. And I think, you know, there's some, you know, you want to take that into consideration. You know, feedback is good. But if I... if I changed the way that I did things based on every single comment that came through, I would, you know, it'd split hairs. And I think there were a lot of decisions that we made early on because, you know, there was a lot of chatter about them, but then you do them and then then nobody's actually interested in that. So I found that actually putting out anonymous forms, you know, feedback forms, rather than, you know, because the loudest person sounds so loud and they sound like they're speaking for hundreds of people, but when you actually send an anonymous form out to those hundred people and you get it back, the results are very different <laughs> than sort of that voice that's in the back of your head constantly, that's, you know. That's great advice. Yeah. yeah, so I think, you know, actually actually receiving data and not just kind of sort of listening to the most popular, because you know, a lot of people will change what they feel and what they say when they're around their friends and their peers versus kind of what they can say privately to you when do? they know that their name is not attached to it, you oh. know.
0: The new things that Lauren tries isn't limited to just formats and events. The 20-sided store actively maintains and provides their players with online spaces to talk, plan, and communicate about upcoming games and events. They use targeted emails as well as Google groups to extend their player communities into the digital sphere, letting the gaming continue beyond their store. They also are experimenting with creating new media content, including blog posts and video. In fact, when I was looking up the store for my visit, I actually saw a really great video ad for the store. It turned out that Lauren has a film background, and when a friend was in town with equipment for another shoot, she was able to leverage it into creating a fun, professional commercial for her store. They're now editing that footage down to a 30-second spot to play at the Williamsburg Cinema, timed with the release of several sci-fi and fantasy blockbusters coming up this year. Lauren even has plans for more video content.
2: Um, hopefully eventually get into uh, doing some more video and um, start up 20-sided TV, you know, yeah, good, cool. good ring, right? Yeah, uh, yeah so um, nobody steal that. Don't put that on the air. <laughs> 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 I got a Pen- patent it, right? Pen- yeah, yeah, patent pending.
0: <laughs> and with that, my time with Lauren was up. Like most store owners I knew, she had a million things to get back to for her store. If you ever find yourself in Brooklyn, New York, make sure to get down to Williamsburg and check out the 20-sided store at 362 Grand Street. I had a great time visiting with those stores out of New York and seeing their hard work and willingness to take risks and try new innovative things. One of the best parts of my job is getting to share the great ideas and input from retailers like Greg at the Uncommons, Lauren at the 20-sided store, and also making sure their voices, as well as your voices, are heard within Wizards, so that we in turn can do a better job as well. Most recently, one of the things we made for retailers that was very well-received was the airships and thopters that came in the promotional kits for Kaladesh. I got to sit down and talk with someone who worked very hard to bring these ships from plan into reality, and he in turn shared with me how the direct input from retailers really helped to shape that effort. So uh, yeah, can you just say your name and uh, your role here at Wizards?
3: Sure. Uh, Paul Hagen. I'm our uh, senior manager over trade marketing, uh, which means that anything that winds up in store, be it uh, marketing materials, kit materials, or any communication that goes to retailers, winds up uh, running through my team. So I wanted to talk to you today about the airships
0: that recently came out with the Kaladesh uh, kit. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of retailers really enjoyed the airships. And I'd love to hear about how this came about uh, and how they got to be designed and
3: implemented in store. Sure. So um, we started conversations. uh, We start pretty far in advance on uh, on most kit materials because it does take time to build them out. Uh, and initially, we were looking at uh, the Kaladesh kit having uh, the poster that wound up in store, the gorgeous, uh, gorgeous art depicting the, uh, the, the inventor's fair. Uh, and then we were thinking, oh, we'll, we'll do some Thopters. We'll do the standee. Uh, we'll have all, all this kind of this eclectic mix of thing, all things Kaladesh. Um, and a little bit into designing it, um, at least sketching, sketching out the concepts, it started becoming obvious to a number of different teams that it was a little eclectic and (laughs) maybe not hitting all the right notes. Now concurrent with that, we were also getting some feedback from the real world. Uh, This was, God, at that time we would, we had already heard feedback a long time ago about the Garrick standee and how big it was. Uh, And we also were hearing uh, uh, not, we weren't yet at the hearing feedback about Avison, but we've had this recurring theme of the size of standees in different markets. Uh, in particular, uh, Japan or Latin America, their uh, stores tend to be uh, tend to be smaller um, versus, you know, North America, we can have a much larger footprint. So uh, we're hearing this and going, well, so wait, we have to downsize the standee uh, and we don't have this amazing concept that we're really all excited about right that second. And this idea came going, well, you know, wait a minute, do we have to do a standee? Could we maybe fall into this, uh, this group of why don't we focus on one idea and uh, these thopters, the initial concept that was going on with just a handful of them uh, this looks kind of cool maybe we, should, maybe we should make more of these maybe you should make these airships as well uh, and really own the sky make this kit really about one thing and make it this very splashy uh, impactful moment for players walking into a store and so that's, wh- uh, that's where they came from
0: um, Awesome And what were the different kind of teams involved in implementing this?
3: Sure. So uh, anytime we produce anything that winds up in store, we have a number of different teams that get involved. Uh, Our team uh, kind of leads the process, but is by no means the uh, group in charge of of it. It's more of a, we help guide everybody in a general direction. So we have our creative team who put together the art, uh, worked with an outside vendor to uh, concept these things and say here's exactly how we would cut them out, here's how they would assemble, uh, here's how they queue off of and work well with the pre-release pack token, uh, the thopter that came in there. Uh, we also work with our brand marketing folks who make sure that the uh, look and feel matches uh, so it, you know we for the same reason we don't want we, we don't want to put a moon in the store during Kaladesh because that was clearly some imagery that worked well with the previous block. Uh, we want to make sure that it works in concert with all of the other marketing. We also work with our uh, R&D folks to make sure that there's this is kind of relevant to the story. So at one point, uh, you, talking about the eclectic mix of things, we had a countertop piece uh, that had uh, moving gears on it. So there was actually there was a motor built into it. Um, and R&D came back and said, that's neat. Gears are not this central piece to kaladesh that's not something we want to emphasize uh so great that, that we need that feedback we need to make sure that it looks and feels like kaladesh um and then we have any number of other uh, other t- folks that we have to deal with, uh, the, folks like accounting to make sure that uh, they, they like making sure that I'm not blowing my budget on all on one thing. <laughs> uh, our legal team to make sure that we're uh, not putting our IP at risk, anything like that. So uh, it's it's very much a, a very collaborative effort.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of hands on deck to make this whole thing come together.
3: Correct, and I would be I would be remiss if i failed to mention our project managers mm. uh who get to uh the, the fun task of kind of rankling cats uh <laughs> with a bunch of marketing and design uh, marketing folks designers uh there's somebody has to keep us on task so uh, they do really we're very central figures in making this happen awesome and i know that
0: uh the ships are kind of really amazing and intricate and you know very honestly a little challenging to build as well right and and so the design from the engineering point of view is very impressive and uh is this kind of complexity something that uh, retailers are going to see in future kits
3: oh man uh we have nothing anywhere near this level of complexity on deck (laughs) right this second that doesn't mean we won't ever again means with the stuff that we're working on right this second there's nothing there right now um that i i mentioned a couple of standees the one i forgot was actually the hedron for battle for zendikar uh one of the pieces of feedback that we got off of that was this is actually kind of difficult to assemble for what's ultimately an eight-sided thing um and so one of the questions we asked of retailers at the the time that rolled out is well is this too complex how how complex is too complex and the resounding answer we got across uh, across regions all over the place was if it's cool enough, we will put it together. There's not a level of complexity that we say is that's too much as long as it's cool enough. <laughs> so um, I'm not saying we took that as a challenge, but <laughs> that, was, that was actively discussed when we were looking at these things going, Oh my God, they're so complex. Is this going to be okay? And we kind of relied on the research we did right after Battle for Zendikar. Uh, Uh, to to um, reinforce the decision we've made Um, that said we heard loud and clear between this and the conspiracy crowns that we're getting awfully close to that threshold of complexity (laughs) uh, and we need to make sure it's really really cool before we get there so uh, it's going to be something we keep in mind on any materials moving forward
0: awesome uh, and in general, when we start thinking about kit materials mm-hmm. for upcoming sets, what is the process of that like? How do, you, how do you even start the brainstorming process of what you're putting
3: and how you're putting it all together? Sure. So um, w- with, e- with each set, we put some amount of marketing materials out in, the, uh, out in stores. Uh, so for example, every, every set has a poster that highlights events, right? So we want to make sure that there's a couple of needs, uh, firm needs that go into each set. Um, after that we we look in as part of a greater uh campaign campaign planning we say let's uh, figure out how to emphasize some of the uh key beats of the campaign uh we also want to make sure that we're not competing for space within a store so as a spoiler uh for we've got ether Revolt around the corner we're probably not going to say hey here's a bunch of mo- a bunch more things to hang from the ceiling we know that those pieces are still up we know that they're uh uh, kind of got reserve seating for right now so there's no reason to compete with ourselves and say hey let's dump yet more stuff in that space uh for the same reason that if you look at the kaladesh kit there's no window cling because we sent one out with shadows over Innistrad. Uh, so there's some uh, uh degree of what have we done before there's necessities that we have uh have to meet uh and then but beyond that we go okay what what imagery is important to the set what uh, feeling do we want to show off? And then also, gosh, how do we make magic look cool? We want, magic, we want people to look at uh, the materials and say, oh my gosh, that looks so amazing. Uh, I, I, I love this stuff that I'm seeing for magic. And so when we do that, uh, something that we put on our team and also uh, every team, we always want to look to our experts. So trade marketing is not the expert in what looks really, really cool. Uh, that would actually be our creative team. And so they'll come to us with a number of different sketches saying, oh, it could look like this, it could look like this. Uh, and we try to we, have to, we have the somewhat sad task of going through and saying, no, 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 ooh, this one. <laughs> um, so they put a, put a lot of work into seeing how can we bring this set to life? Here's a number of different ways uh, this could happen. And then all of that has to be done within a budget constraint. So we can, you know, there's uh, there's only so much so much we can spend on any one uh, any, any one kit. So we want to make sure that, unfortunately, there you know you notice that there were no solid gold uh, thopters sent to stores <laughs> because that's a little spendy and it, uh, eats up our shipping. Um, so we we have to make sure that we're operating within constraint as well.
0: Awesome, and I know that we've seen a lot of really cool pictures of these uh, airships mm-hmm. in the wild and in sh- in stores. Uh, what are your hopes for retailers in taking the marketing materials we provide for them and using it? What 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 would you what do you hope to see them do? Uh,
3: the thing we always want to see is we want to uh, see magic at the front of the store. We love seeing uh, if somebody walks into a WPN uh, location, they should go, "Oh my gosh, this looks so cool! I love I love what I'm seeing here." Um, it, the far and away the most important thing it should draw the eye it should tell you magic is sold here it should tell you magic is played here um and then it should also spotlight the uh spotlight the latest release uh so you notice none of the stuff we put out recently has lore on it well because well we're not at lorewin right now um instead we should say let's show off kaladesh and like make make people feel really excited about kaladesh itself um, beyond that uh, you know long term You know, we we are going to rotate in new materials with each release, which means that eventually those things need to go away. Um, So, you know, one of those uh, that's also kind of a fun parallel for us is we're able to watch what is hanging around for a really long time, and if something is hanging around a long time, that obviously means it went over well. Uh, or it's just particularly sturdy. Let's make note of that and keep it around. So uh, one of the reasons, for example, window clings came back. We hadn't made a window cling in five years. Uh, and it was actually because we were going around and we kept seeing these Liliana of the Veil vale window clings everywhere still. And they were holding up well. We're going, uh, wait a minute, we should we should probably get these back in circulation. Uh, so we floated and tried out the uh, the stained glass look for uh, Shadows of Ernestrad. Um so, uh, but over time, as, th- as things rotate out, uh, really want to encourage the stores, A, recycle, by all means, uh, uh, that's, that's important. Or, or B, uh, many times we do see a lot of stores saying, hey, I want to give this away to a player. Is that okay? Yes, definitely. By all means, if you've got a player who's excited about those thopters, <laughs> let, the, let the thopters do their job early on, draw the eye, get people excited. And hey, when we move on to the next uh, next block, by all means, let's, let's find those things a good home. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Paul. Uh, is there anything you wanted to say about the doctors or anything
3: you wanted to address? Uh, I mean, gosh, the only other thing I would want to make sure to uh, ask is, uh, you know, on a, on a pretty regular basis through the Facebook group, through our uh, folks on uh, customer support, retail support. Um, we often ask questions um, and not al- you don't always get to see, hey, oh, here's the end result of all of that. Uh, and it's mostly because we operate so far in the future it kind of tends to be a little bit spoily uh, but if we're asking a question there's a really good reason behind it we want to know so if you have an opportunity to give us feedback oh my gosh do so because the th- these thopters never would have happened if not for the feedback we received during uh shadows block battle for zendikar block uh how those uh how uh, some of the feedback on what in-store materials work well we've these are a result of all of the retailers uh chiming in and giving us feedback so if there's any question we're asking uh or you ever have an opportunity to give us feedback oh my gosh give it to us because we really want to hear it learn what's going on out in the real world uh and adjust what we're doing to make sure that we're setting you all up for success (music)
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks again to Greg May of The Uncommons, Lauren Belanco of The 20-Sided Store, and Paul Hagen here at Wizards of the Coast. If you guys have any thoughts or questions, you can always reach me at michael.yi.chow@wizards.com. at wizards.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.